my big takeaway is trust the process. Trust in yourself. Take time for yourself. Think through what's going on. I just spent 25 days driving across the country working and just getting a change of scenery because I felt the walls closing in. And that was part of my process was just to get out and drive, you know, pack the dog up and we literally drove from Virginia to California and back. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Well, Brenda, I've been excited about this episode for a long time. We've had this booked for a while. Welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. No doubt we're going to have a great time and really give a lot of value to the audience. And as you know, I really like to get into people's whys. So I want to know your story and what really brought you to be doing what you're doing today. So I have kind of an, how far back do you want this to go? I mean, go? not like, you know, at the hospital, you know, I had blue <laughs> I eyes. I saw or... the light and I followed. <laughs> no. <laughs> so my story is kind of interesting. So I've been practicing business in HR for about 30 years now. And I knew as a kid growing up, I always wanted to do something in business. I don't know why, but I did. And then when I was about 30, is when I realized that I really wanted to get into the field of human resources. And so that's really when I started focusing and working in on it. But I've been in retail for, you know, for, I've got a 26 year retail career that's layered into 30 years of business. And, and in my opinion, retail is some of the best business education that you can get because it covers everything. It covers everything from marketing to sales, you know, creating sales budgets to staffing to HR stuff. And you get your fair share of HR stuff in retail, that's for sure. You know, understanding buying, understanding pricing. It's pretty awesome. And, it, and you exist in a business model. So you actually learn these things along the way. And as a result of it, you know, just kind of kept propelling me into that direction. What some people may or may not know about me is that in my earlier years, I was uh, not diagnosed. I was misdiagnosed, actually, where I wasn't diagnosed at all. And I was dyslexic my whole life. I, you know, clearly still am. And um, so my teachers knew that there was something that wasn't clicking, but nobody had a definition as to what that was. So here I am barely graduating from high school as a CDF student, knowing that I want to do things that requires education and intelligence and smarts and know-how and you know, feeling pretty bad about this thing that keeps holding me back. And it wasn't until I was at work with somebody, I said something kind of backwards. And he said, he's like, hey, has anybody ever asked you if you've been tested for dyslexia or have you been ever tested? Because you're doing a lot of the same things that I do. And that's really what was the trigger. So I went in and, you know, worked on this and I had to learn how to reread as an adult, but I went back to school. 
And I took the 20-year route when it came to my education, my collegiate education. And I went from being a CDF student and never giving up. And it was hard. But I graduated with my bachelor's degree with Latin honors. So I graduated magna cum laude, which is the mid-level of the honor structure. Um, I was shooting for summa cum laude, but I didn't quite make it. And that's fine. I was just excited about this. So here I am, an A student that started off as horrifically as a CDF student as an adult. You know, it's, let me tell you something, it's hard. It's hard to do something like that. And then learning HR, I was engaging in it without the actual formal education. So I actually understood the reasons why while I was going through my education, but I was performing the function. So I got a really awesome living case study internal look to the field of human resources while I was in the process of, you know, learning formally. And, um, and what I found along the way doing what I do in my career, now I've worked for five, five Fortune 500 companies. So I've, I've had the privilege of seeing how things are done on the back end and being you know, the recipient of guidance and directions and initiatives on in the field. When I went and worked with ADP, as uh, I started off as an HR business con- uh, consultant, I wound up becoming a senior HR business partner and at the time I left, I have, you know, had consulted to 380 companies at that point, small businesses in five years. And that's a lot of exposure, a lot of government contracting, learn how to do that. That's like drinking a fire, you know, drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> so I saw a lot of things done a lot of different ways. And I was able to apply what I learned from, you know, my Fortune 500 experience and, and helping small businesses figure this puzzle out. And then I decided, well, I'm going to you know, retire as a chief human resource officer. I went back into the seat. I worked as an HR director for a space agency for two years. And then for a short time after that, as a VP of HR for a federal contractor. And you know what? I just went, you know, I'm not happy. Go back to doing what you love to do. Go back to doing what you're good at. And that's helping other people solve problems. And that's, uh, that's what led me to where I am right now. And you know, I have a small consulting practice, but I also have a coaching practice that I'm building and work with other women and men in human resources to help them do exactly that. So you talked about what's your why a little offline. And if you've ever done any of Simon Sinek's work, you come up with a why statement. And my why statement has been uh, to model strength, courage, and love. So that way people can really reveal their authentic self and doing those things that they really do, that they enjoy doing and that they're good at. So that's what I've been working on. And, and so that's I, where we are today. And, and I love that for, for a number of reasons. But not only do I love that from a personal standpoint, I love that you have the capacity to, to bring that into the HR space with your clients. And yeah. one of the things that I, I do want to ask you about, because it's so interesting, you talk about the importance of love and purpose and all of these things, is that it seems to me, anecdotally, based on people I've interacted with you know, through my show and in the media and other places, that the pendulum is swinging. Not all the we're not all the way there, not by a long shot. But that you know, if you went into a boardroom twenty years ago and talked about you know heart centered business and things along those lines, you would get escorted up by security quite rapidly. And it seems like more and more companies are willing to engage in that discussion. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah. You know, 20 years ago was 
2000. It's hard to believe that we were, we were just getting over why, the scare of Y2K <laughs> at that point. And here we are dealing with the coronavirus and, you know, a very contentious election, which is amazing how the world shifts. But, you know, back then, HR was more just about personnel and benefits. But in three years, in just three years, there was a massive shift to where that taking care of your people and having a more progressive look at how do you engage with your human capital? It was really kind of like where it, where it started coming out of the gate. You really did see a lot of that in 2003. And then, you know, we had the financial crash in 2008 and everything reverts back to, well, we, we think it's great. It's about engagement, but we got to think of the survival of the company. And so therefore it becomes granular again, right? It goes back down to that money factor, but all these other really cool things are in place. So it's, it's interesting to see how it has ebbed and flow. And then, you know, there we were ramping it back up again, where people are looking at, you know, we've got nap pods over at Google and, you know, all these other really great ideas and, and awesome things. And then here we've got, you know, where we are today, where in less than just a few weeks, this virus hits and then companies are trying to figure out how do they stay alive again. It is very interesting to see how it ebbs and flows. I don't think that it's just been, it got inserted into the boardroom and then it became very progressive. I think that conversation exists around, you know, the viability of the organization. And yes, taking care of your people is important, but you also, as a business owner, as a CEO, as an apex leader, your number one responsibility, it's not focused in on profit. It's not focused in on returns. It's not focused in on making sure that your shareholders and your stockholders are, are getting their segment of what they invest back. Yes, all that's important, but your number one responsibility in business is to keep the doors open to make sure that payroll is met. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. So obviously, as you alluded to, we are in unprecedented times <laughs> from a geopolitical as well as from a you know, societal standpoint with what's going on with the coronavirus. So let's talk about how the coronavirus has really impacted HR. Certainly, as you've said, you know, businesses are now shifting to what do I need to do to survive? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're now several months into this and, you know, we don't know if any more stimulus money is coming to small businesses or not. Uh, and, and there's going to be a limit to that anyhow. The government can only print so much money and that, that will eventually have to stop at some point. And probably before you know, there's a vaccine and, and everybody's cured and running around in the streets again. So uh, talk to us about the specific impact to HR in terms of what you do. And then I would love to address you know, ways that businesses can move into 
helping their employees, which in turn helps the business, right? So let's, yeah. let's start there. So with the onset of the coronavirus, every business in this country, every business was experiencing the exact same fire drill. And that's really what it became. Strategy. I mean, you, you had this really beautiful report. You might as well just crumpled it up and thrown it over your shoulder because everything shifted. It, it became, you know, every, you know, smart HR leaders put into place their HR strategy for the year. And January, it starts rolling out. We're all, you know, doing our thing. We're trying to figure out how do we get people engaged? What kind of training do we need? You know, do we get everybody's W-2s out? And then all of a sudden this hits and it, it was, oh crap, how are we going to function? That really is the big question. And in the month of March and April combined together, I had actually presented, I had gotten so far ahead of this that I had stuff ready to roll out because I saw it coming. Because I'm in a coaching position and not in an in-seat position, I was paying very close attention to what was going on. Knew right away that as soon as it hit China, it started spreading as fast as it did. It was already here in the United States because of all of the commerce that comes back and forth between the US and China. It was just a matter of weeks before we heard it in the news. I had presented to over 3,500 employers at that point in just two months on this very same subject. And it was, how do we prepare for this? What do we need? Everybody's scrambling to get masks. Everybody's scrambling to get hand sanitizer. Everybody's scrambling to get, you know, disinfectant soap, cleaners for their location. Nobody knew how far this was going to go. And so it took us a good 30 days to at least get that. And then what happens if somebody's getting sick and everybody wants, well, I just want to send my people to go get tested and that'll be good. And <laughs> like testing centers are like, no, we're not doing that. So because it would have, you know, that's what we were talking about flattening the curve because it would have absolutely overwhelmed our system. So we went from an epidemic to a pandemic very, very quickly. And what a lot of people have learned about pandemics, which they have never, if they've never experienced anything before, and I honestly, I don't even remember the last big pandemic we ever had in something of this scale I've, that does never existed in my life, is that there are certain provisions within employment laws that take place. Not all of them, but there's some things that we can do. There's, there's exceptions with the American with Disabilities Act. OSHA didn't really have any guidelines on this. We just didn't have a playbook for this. That's what the majority of this year has really required of us is to figure out, okay, so what's the play? You know, on top of figuring out how to keep our business open, because now our business model has shifted. You know, if we're a brick and mortar and brick and mortar is being shut down across all 50 states to protect the welfare of, of you know, the public, then what's the play? How do we make things happen? There's an organization, Fit Body Bootcamp, for instance, which is owned, the whole franchise is owned by Bedros Koulian, really great example. They immediately went, when their gyms were shutting down, they got together quickly and they went to an online virtual format where they were actually producing classes for their clientele. And they went from, they stopped selling franchises because nobody can open them, uh, open them to how are we going to keep our business sustainable, right? And that also includes as we're keeping ourselves sustainable, how do we keep our people safe? So from an HR perspective, it was, what do we do? What do we need to know? Because the information is changing hour by hour. How do we keep our people safe? How do we keep the doors open? How do we meet the needs of what the CEO is trying to figure out? The CEO needs information to make all of these decisions. And that's really what it was. It was just a big fire drill. 
And then we got the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And that is, it's not stimulus, but it's, you know, guidance from the Department of Labor. It's a law that went into place. It was really interesting. It was an act that has two acts within it. And so, you know, emergency paid sick leave and uh, expanded med- emergency medical family leave as well for, for protection for people who don't have childcare or they're caring for somebody else who has, you know, within their family that qualifies for the coronavirus and for COVID-19. So then we had to figure all that out. So there was a lot of figuring out, figuring out, figuring out. None of it was litigated because it's a new law and that's how the government works. We'll create a law and then we'll figure out how to deal with it later, right? That's just how these things go. And it was just a lot. I mean, it was like this big mudslide of issues that just, there's nothing that's going to stop it. It just comes down on our heads. So it was a lot of figuring out. And that is really, this is like the year of figuring out. (laughs) So people have different terms for this year. And this was the year of figuring it out. And it really put everybody to test. It put our IT infrastructures to test. It put our critical thinking to test. It put our ethics to test. It has put so much to test. And then we sprinkle in a little bit of civil unrest on top of it and protesting. And what happens if our employees want to go protest? So it has been a very complicated year. And there's nothing easy about this. If it was easy, we wouldn't call it work, right? But I think at some point in time, I think we're now to a point where we're leveling off and life isn't feeling as chaotic as work anymore because we figured these things out. We're moving forward. Unfortunately, some businesses close. Other businesses open. You know, some companies thrive in the heat of conflict and other businesses don't. And this is just kind of how life works. That all said, and certainly, you know, in the beginning, it was, you know, the craziness around Zoom. And and now, several months later, companies have figured out Hey, you know, we can conduct business at distance. Maybe we don't need to fly face-to-face to to meet every client or hold our meetings and such. But so if we presume that it's never going to fully go back to the way it was and and that many companies may allow, I think Microsoft announced that they're permanently allowing people to work from home. I think I I read that a week ago. So... How does that impact HR if your workplace is is no longer centralized, if your employees are essentially just doing the Zoom thing, maybe forever? Well, I don't don't know if we'll be living this life forever. And quite frankly, I I don't believe we will. And one of the main reasons is is because it's not 100% practical for the human spirit. I mean, let's face it, here in the United States, we don't like being uncomfortable. (laughs) We just, Americans, we we like our comfort, right? That's just part of it. And it's all good. I don't think it's 100% feasible because there is something that is missing in this virtual environment, and that's the connectivity. I mean, this is a different kind of connectivity. You and I can see each other. We can talk, right? But it doesn't... There's just something about being within proximity of people that is just how humans have existed since the dawn of man, literally, right? So I don't think we can fully go back to that. I think at some point in time, COVID won't be as big of a concern and and we'll eventually, you know, roll back in there. I don't know how long that's going to take. I wish I had a crystal ball and I could tell you that because if I did, I'd go get the next lottery ticket and retire. But there is a lot that we can do. And what we are doing simply requires us to revisit our policies. Does it make sense? 
you know, does it, does this policy of having an attendance policy where we still are dealing with a pandemic and people potentially still getting it, having to come out of work, and we have a point system for absenteeism, does that make sense? And the answer is no, it does not, right? And there's a lot of companies, believe it or not, who have attendance issues that have put a policy like that in place. Now it doesn't, it, it just doesn't hold water like it used to because the end result and the reasons that put us into that are both different now. They're things that are beyond somebody's control rather than, you know, dealing with somebody who you may think could be just like making up a lot of reasons to be, to not work. Right. And that's usually why a point system is in place is that they're trying to curb some sort of undesired behavior. So it, that's basically what it takes for us to do this. You know, a lot of the things that we are doing now, as far as delivering the arm of HR, we've had access to technologically, but it hasn't really fully required us to use it as 100%. There's a lot of HRIS systems that are out there that have a ton of functionality that companies haven't really yet tapped into. They just kind of use what they're comfortable with, what they need. But the more that they really fully expose the capabilities of their HRIS system, the easier managing the HR mechanism remotely is is going to be and probably has has become for several people. So I think a lot of it is technology. I don't know where AI sits now in relation to human resources, with the exception of AI still could potentially pose a risk, depending upon how it's set up. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, AI can open up the door for potential EEO claims, particularly with the hiring arena. But that doesn't necessarily mean AI is not effective in other areas of HR as well. So again, I think it's a it's a new day of figuring those things out. But it, we're not figuring it out in a crisis mode. That's the good news. We can now take our now now we can critically think, and we we didn't really have that luxury. If we had to critically think, it had to be pretty damn quick. Right. So for somebody listening to this, and I know the audience ranges from you know the, the small business owner to the really large business owner, but I, I want to shift the attention a little bit to small business and, uh, and entrepreneurs. So I know you work with quite a few of them. What are really, for, for right now, what are, say, the, the top two or three tips that you could give somebody as we're basically riding this wave and, and seeing what happens? with the economy and, and with the virus? Um, you know what? I would say the first thing is be open-minded to suggestions that your employees are willing to roll up. Because there's, really, there's a lot of really awesome ingenuity that still exists out there right now in, in the face of all of this. You know, don't be afraid of talking to your team about, hey, listen, here are our challenges that we are working to overcome. And let them know what those things are. Not not like financial challenges, like we only have two weeks left to do, you know, pay payroll. Don't go there. That's bad. What I'm talking about is addressing the business solution. You know, if you have a widget that you are planning on rolling out and put it on hold, and now all of a sudden you're in a position where you can roll it out again, but it's like, oh gosh, you know, I'd love to get the team's input on this to see how we can roll it out the best way possible you know, be open to that. And, you know, one of the things that I've always told people is that, listen, if you get feedback from an employee and they roll it up the ladder or roll it up, make sure that you roll feedback down equally, meaning that 
if you're going to use it or not use it, rolling it back down, what that does to somebody and their emotional bank account is it makes a deposit and it makes them feel good because at the end of the day, they feel like they've been hurt. Whether or not you move forward with the project, whether you think it's the best time or not, the fact that they got hurt means everything to a lot of people. Maybe not everybody, but a lot of people. So that would be one of the things that I would definitely recommend. The other thing that I recommend is that I mentioned earlier that some laws, some things have shifted in the employment law landscape. One of the biggest myths that are out there is that small business owners don't believe that they are going, they they believe that they're not going to get caught. Well, I've got something to tell you. Employment laws are not changing. In fact, the Department of Labor is way more vigilant about certain areas right now. And so if you have that mindset that you believe that, you know, you're too small and, you know, you'll be able to slide through things, don't take that on. That is a very arrogant approach to business and it's going to bite you at some point and it's going to cost you significantly. So if you're spending all of this effort trying to save money for your company and you have a a very lackadaisical or, you know, a different approach about believing whether or not you should or shouldn't comply with some form of employment law, I promise you at some point it will come back and that huge effort that you had to save money will just absolutely eat right at it. And you don't want that to happen. The last thing is that I would say don't get complacent now because we honestly, nobody can tell you what's going to happen in the, in the next several months. We have no idea. The, the country's getting physically colder. It's winter that's coming in. It's fall now, but we got winter coming in. We don't know what this virus is going to do. We don't know what the government's going to do. We don't know how people are going to respond. If we get, wind up having, you know, stepping back into phase two or God forbid, phase one, how are people of this country going to respond to that? And I'm not talking about taking to the streets and fighting. That's not what I'm referring to, but how are they going to respond? Are they going to be so exhausted till they just throw their hands up in there and say, forget this? I'm not going to do this. Is it going to continually put more jobs into, you know, the market, virtual markets, Amazon, Walmart, they're now, you know, they've been competing with each other forever. Now they're really going at it. You know, supply line, supply chain, you know, is there an opportunity for you to go ahead and and certainly tap into something like that and, and diversify your business, right? So don't get complacent because complacency is what kills. It absolutely does. It kills kills not only your business, but it kills the human spirit too. So those are some things that I would throw out there. I think we could put don't kill the human spirit on a bumper sticker. That sounds like pretty sound advice to me. Brenda, this is this is great advice. I, I knew that you would deliver this. You, you are referred to by those in the HR circle as a force of nature. So <laughs> I, am, I am grateful for you to be sharing your wisdom with us today. We're going to put you on the spot one more time because as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests to share their biggest helping, that one most important piece of information they'd like the audience to walk away with after hearing our conversation today. Everything that we've been talking about Everything that from an individual standpoint, it's part of our process. And, you know, transformation is not easy. You know, surviving something like this isn't easy. My, my, my big takeaway is trust the process. Trust in yourself. Take time for yourself. Think through what's going on. I just spent 25 days driving across the country 
working and just getting a change of scenery because I felt the walls closing in. And that was part of my process was just to get out and drive, you know, pack the dog up. And we literally drove from Virginia to California and back. And it was an amazing 25 days, stopped and did some business. But you know what? It was a process for me that had to happen. And when I came back at the end of that process, I had a very, very clear vision of what I was going to do moving forward. So trust your process. Just trust it. You may not know what's going to happen at the end of it, but just trust it. Well said. Brenda, tell us where people can find you online. So um, you can find me on my website at brendathehrlady.com. I'm on social media as well. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at brendathehrlady. And if you want to connect with me over on LinkedIn, it's not as simple. You have to actually spell my name, but it's really easy to remember it if you just type in Brenda and then N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. Uh, V is in Victor, A-T-A-L. I am literally am the only Brenda neck bottle in the country. So you'll, I'm pretty easy to find. Well, that's pretty cool. The only <laughs> Brenda neck bottle in the country. I am. I'm literally, when they say the one and only Brenda, then nobody's kidding. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. <laughs> and we'll have links to everything Brenda Nockfaddle at thedailyhelping.com in the show notes for her episode. Well, Brenda, this has been awesome. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today and joining us on The Daily Help. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who chose to listen to this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly... Go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others. 